Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. My guest today is Eric from the Gun Gamers YouTube channel and Gun Gamers production. Eric is a friend of the show. He's been on the podcast a few times. But for those of you who maybe haven't heard those episodes before, uh, Eric is an airsofter from the Eastern United States who has a lot of experience with airsoft events of all types, from your you know local skirmish events on the weekends to more national level airsoft events like American Milsim's Copperhead to your like really hardcore Milsim events like Milsim West. And just to be clear, when I use the term national level event, I mean games where players travel from all around the country and even internationally to attend. So it's not just limited to the United States. Like we can be talking about border war in Europe, for example, is an example of a national level event. So just keep that in mind while we talk about that today. Um, so Eric has been both a player and admin at all these types of airsoft events. And he and his crew have spent a lot of time considering game design, gameplay elements, and player experience in particular, which is why I'm so glad to have him on the podcast today. Because many of you will know that myself and my teammate John have the opportunity to travel to uh, attend American Milsim's Iron Horse in the new year in 2024. And this is going to be our very first experience with a national level airsoft event. And while we're really fortunate to be attending with a crew of experienced players, the idea of that game is still really daunting to me and to John. And that's because there's so many unknowns, not because, not just because we're traveling to another country and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm sure that many other airsofters feel or have felt this way before attending their first game. Uh, this like a game of that magnitude. And for some of you, it might even be the main driver, aside from cost, why you haven't made the move to check it out. So today, I thought Eric and I would have a chat about how to prepare for events like this. Not so much in terms of the gear and stuff that you're going to bring, but more in terms of setting the right expectations, planning, the mindset, and so on. So Eric, thanks so much for being here to chat about that today. Of course, dude. I'm super glad to be here. Always fun to come on. And I, I will uh, elaborate. I've actually never been to AMS Copperhead. I've been okay. to AMS Faded Giant uh, back when they did that. And I've done the Eastern Front games uh, at Zulu that they run here. But for the most part, I do Milsom West now. Um, gotcha. So a little bit different, but I am familiar with all the formats. Right. And you've been playing Airsoft for quite a while. And I think you've been attending these large events in some capacity for a while. Do you remember sort of what the first big like national level event that you attended and what was what was that? And like, what was your experience with Airsoft prior to making the jump to a game like that? So I had started out playing uh, basically backyard Airsoft, right? Like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend who owned some property on the edge of town and we would just like go and play on this piece of property. Uh, and it was just me and like six to 12 guys. And even even back then, I was like kind of the guy. I, I want to do the hostage missions and all that, all that LARPy crap. Everyone mm -hmm. else wanted to shoot each other. But uh, <laughs> we, we started going to a local field called Hunter's Creek, uh, which was at the time like a mecca for the Western New York scene. Uh, you would get games out there that were 80 to 100 players. And that was a big deal at the time to get 100 players to a game. It's like, Oh my god. Uh so I played some local fields, Hunters Creek, uh Black Ops Airsoft slash Penyan Airsoft, the old Western New York hands are watching, uh Warzone. But then Lion Claws actually came to Buffalo. 
there was an old decommissioned grain mill on the Niagara River uh, in Buffalo. And we actually got to play uh, an airsoft game in an old grain mill. Uh, somebody had cool. a tornado grenade land in a pile of dead bird. That was horrible, but... <laughs> Uh, so I guess yeah. I would say that was the first, like, because Lion Claws at, at the time was like a much bigger promoter. Uh, now I feel like they don't run nearly as many games, but they were like the national level scene at the time. And that was the mm -hmm. first time that I played something that was that kind of game. And there was a few hundred players. Amped Airsoft was there. You know, it was it was a big deal for the West New York scene. And that was uh, so it came to me. Mm -hmm. And what was your I guess your experience like? Uh, in your airsoft scene and like going to that like how are you feeling in that lead up to that event was it very much like i'm nervous about what this is going to be like or it's that um or were you thinking about you know one of the things we often hear is is people being like oh my god i'm going to go to these games and people are going to be so much better than me or whatever like what was your mindset with respect to that when you were approaching that first game so i was going with about a squad worth of guys um and we kind of tried to figure out like the platoon level strategy and play the missions that we were given. Uh, and so our mindset going in was very much like we bought a ticket for this game. That is this different type of game from our normal stuff. And we're expected, we're already kind of used to like the idea of there being a team commander and getting missions. Mm -hmm. So then like just answering to a platoon leader instead of like a team commander or like a, a CO was just that intermittent and it's like okay whatever that's easy uh so in terms of preparation though i think we you know bear in mind this is 2012 uh so so airsoft looked very different you know so we didn't like really have the level of player i think that we have now honestly mm -hmm. and I mean, GMR was there, like old school GMR, you wow. know, back when they all ran the PTWs and the toe shoes. Yeah, uh, that was uh, so that was like the big deal was like, oh, my God, this this team is like super good and a big deal at the time. But honestly, uh, I think we just went in like, all right, we're going to try to play the missions, focus on that, like immerse ourselves into the game and the scenario, do what we're told and just do the best we can within that. We understood that there'd be things that we're not good at yet or things we didn't know, but we kind of just went in like, let's see what this is like. Let's figure this out. And this first run might suck, but mm -hmm. then we'll get better as the game goes on. Right. And how did that shake out? Like, what did, um, how did your plan survive first contact with the enemy, so to speak? And what were some of the lessons that you learned, like the, the big stuff that you learned early on in, in this game? And I guess those, the future types of games that you would have played. Um, and how did that inform sort of how you move forward with your team? So, so some of the big things that we learned, um, I think we, we definitely learned the importance of like, accountability within a squad because one of the things i think people overlook as a duty of a squad leader at airsoft because most people come from their local field and it's a smaller place rounds are quicker you know most of the time you're not having to maintain like where everybody is on a large facility that radios might not cover all of mm -hmm. so i think early on one of the earliest lessons we learned was trying to maintain squad accountability and how important it is that you're just using your basic levels of communication, not even just radios, but just voice, just talking to each other and like really knowing what you're going to do and then having kind of a procedure for certain things you're going to do. Like after an engagement, get ACE reports, you know, learn, you see how everyone's doing on ammo, you know, how everyone's doing on any, has anyone been hit? Can you just medic them back in? 
how's everyone doing on water? Like that. So aces, ammo, casualties, equipment. So that's the report that you want to get for something like that. And that mm-hmm. really helped with maintaining squad cohesion. Cause normally you go to these big games with these big facilities and some people really struggle to keep their group together. But just that alone, that one thing that is going to improve your airsoft game. Like, 100 fold not just in the social aspect of being able to play with your friends but also in the aspect of being more competitive because now you haven't just lost half your guys somewhere else yeah and and i think you know in my thinking about about these big games like that like this is a really good piece of information that you're providing here especially to me again in a very Mm self-serving way like i'm filing that one away for later yeah totally because i've often thought about that it's like I go, you know, we play games at our field all the time and John and I are like, all right, man, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Oh, I got hit. And then I get turned around and now he's off doing one thing. And now I'm at the respawn coming back to the game. You're like, okay, well, what am I doing? Like, what's going on? And so, you know, when you talk about that cohesion, like, I think that becomes very, very important uh, because in my mind, I'm like, well, what's going to happen to me when I go to Iron Horse and I get hit and John's not hit and I go to respawn, then what? Well, then what you're talking about right there becomes you know, keeps me in the game with my friends as opposed to just, you know, linking up with some randos, right? Yeah, and and I think, you know, part of it is going to be using comms if you need to, if you can, in order to be like, hey, I'm at the respawn. And then one of the things I think a lot of people do is they go to the respawn alone and then they leave alone. Mm -hmm. Don't don't do that. Uh, Again, if you want to maintain unit cohesion and focus on playing with your friends, go to the respawn and wait a little bit and then people who are out if you've lost like a third of your squad and they're back at respawn consider like just doing something crazy or finishing out the current engagement and then either holding position so that your squad back at your your squad mates back at spawn can link up with you at your current pause or consider falling back to reequip cuz like at AMS you can't reload magazines in the field so mm-hmm. That's going to be a consideration is ammo and resource management as well. And and at Milsim West, you know, you have your issued ammo and, and your water and your supplies away from your ruck. So when you're out away from your ability to resupply, supply management becomes another reason that you go back to respawn, not just getting shot with BBs. Yeah, and that certainly doesn't sound like a cool guy consideration. It's how am I going to manage my resources or, or what have you. But it certainly sounds... And especially, I think, like at a game like uh, like uh, Milsim West, where you know it's even mm-hmm. more strict than than AMS, you really need to consider that. And it's not something you're going to practice per se, but it's certainly something you need to consider, right? Well, it's, so, it just has to be a constant thought process, you know, just right. always be managing those uh, uh, logistical assets. Right. So, and, and you sort of touched on this a little bit, but like looking forward to now. So now that mm-hmm. you have. Um, you know, very many uh, of these experiences under your belt, both as a player, <laughs> as an admin, war boss, what have you. Um, what what do you think aside from aside from from this? Like, what is it do you think that players really tend to focus on, or even sometimes fixate on to the detriment of other aspects that it really is not as important as they that 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 they think it is. So I'm going to try to say this as nicely as possible because I also am a big, a big nerd for like how I look at games and looking cool and having all the latest gear. But I think a lot of players wind up wanting to go for a certain look to the point that certain practical considerations get left to the wayside. And I think people also think that they need too much. Uh, So Mm -hmm. players kind of 
worry about checking so many boxes that then the details of the quality of the check those boxes are getting kind of falls to the wayside. And I, I think that's one of the biggest you know failings that I see from a lot of new players is they'll show up and they've like got this really cool looking like hype beast costume. But then I ask them if they have any kind of rain layer and they're like, oh, I, I didn't think about that part. No, I didn't have anything that matched. And I'm like, all right, that's going to be great until it's 36 degrees and raining <laughs> at night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's the thing is, you know, sometimes the, the airsoft considerations go before like the fashion and the costuming part go before the practical considerations. Mm -hmm. And I think you can serve both. But some players lean too far into one direction and don't think about the other. Yeah. And do you ever see or ha have you experienced situations where like, you know, you mentioned it and I, I we often hear like buy once, cry once kind of deal. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Like getting good quality gear and stuff. Have you have you seen situations where the quality of that checkbox that people are making? It's like, oh, well, yes, I have this, but it sucks because oh, yeah. it's just like, you know, I just threw it together. Do you have an example in mind? Uh, you know, so this is going to be an example that's like not exactly applicable to AMS, but I do mm -hmm. think it can relate. One of the examples I can think of is when you go to Milsim West and you see the people who have the cheapest, crappiest backpack and the biggest, like least packable sleeping bag. It's mm -hmm. like, yes, you have those items, but you'd be better off if you didn't have the sleeping bag. Literally, because the sleeping bag you have is strapped to the outside of your ruck, getting wet, so it's not even going to be usable, and it's swinging all over the place. So oh, it's yeah. like making the thing ride improperly. It, it's, and then you see examples like I would say at you know an AMS game. Another good example would be I once had a squad leader at one of these games who bought a whole brand new cry uniform and cry plate carrier setup spent so much money and did not have a place to put his radio so mm. his radio was clipped to his cummerbund and in the first push it flew off and i never had radio contact with my squad leader ever again <laughs> yeah that sounds uh very typical that's typical airsoft for sure mm -hmm. and like i think you know one of the things that the way that I, that I've been wrapping my head around some of these pro these things is like um, I'm making the contrast with like um, like ultra running and like super long distance running where there's mm -hmm. a, a principle that I follow is you have to fix small problems immediately because if they keep occurring then it's going to be a really big so if you got a rock in your shoe and you adjust your gait for example and you do that for 35 kilometers that's a problem that you're going to be in real real hardship so what i'm where i'm going with this is with airsoft similar like if you're playing at your local field and something is like not working correctly but you're like sort of just dealing with it if you're going to be playing airsoft for like 5 hours on your feet that problem is going to get significantly more impactful oh, totally. as the as the event goes right Absolutely. If you've got something that's a failure point at a local game, it will fail at the big game. Like, I have yet to see an occasion where that was not true. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially when you see, like, man, I've heard this before a lot, where it's like, you know, airsoft gear, it's fine for airsoft, right? Which is probably true in the context of a smaller game. But then when you're going through and you're rucking through the woods for like three hours or whatever, meaningfully, it's the same 
if that, you know, if you're rucking through the woods with a chest rig, that's, you know, $40 versus a chest rig, that's $100. Well, it doesn't matter if this is real or not. It's still the same activity and you're putting that same stress on it. And chances are, if you've got a cheap plastic buckle, maybe that cheap plastic buckle will fail and then you'll, you know, be out of chest rig or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's obviously like, it's not all just price related. A lot of oh, it is sure. also yeah. like, you know, just general build quality related mm -hmm. and some things are built for some uses and some things are not like personally i don't think the cry g3 uniform is a good idea for a woods game in general uh versus like the field uniforms or like acus i think are much better um but it, it's so it's all about knowing like what you're using for what purpose right mm -hmm. and having um having all of these failure points yeah, they all need to be as reinforced as possible. And the more reinforced all those are, then yeah, the, the less likely they're going to be to fail. But it, it's also about, you know, how it's going to fit and ride on your body as much as anything else. And I think a lot of people don't think about that. And they'll have a poorly adjusted chest rig that's like kind of hanging off and sagging. And they'll have a, a, a backpack and they won't use the hip belt. That and that's what blows my mind is why I see people using their backpack and they don't have the hip belt. Literally, you like show them how to adjust the pack and use the hip belt. And they're like, oh, yeah, I should have been doing that all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny how, you know, properly adjusted kit makes a really big difference for longevity. Right. And like your the amount of effort you're putting into it. And again, no experience doing that for like big airsoft games, but lots of experience doing that, like pounding the pavement, so to speak. And, and that all translates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I sort of intimated this a little bit before as we were talking as well, but one of the concerns that players might have, and certainly I think if you are kind of like me and you're coming from uh, what appears to you as being a smaller community, like, you know, we play an open game here, we have 20 players. If we have a big game, you got like 50 players, like it's very easy to feel like, the you know, a, we're a small community. And the concern is when you're going to one of these national events, uh, it's going to be full of highly skilled BB SEALs, uh, players who've been, who are just much better than you because you come from a shitty small community, basically. You're not going to be able to compete. You're going to be a small fish in a big pond. And how have you seen that work out in your reality? I have seen it work out two very distinct ways. It goes one of two ways. It either goes that, yeah, like, they weren't really prepared and they didn't really like do a great job of adapting because they were just so unprepared. Like they didn't read the rule set sometimes is one of the things I see. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it becomes, you know, a totally different game for them as opposed to what other people are doing or people will go out and it's their first time and they were, you know, excited or nervous or whatever. So they read everything they could. They watched videos. They, they like asked relevant questions and discord groups or whatever. And then they come out and they just try to roll in with the community and then to just kill it. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people assume that so much of how you do at these bigger games is down to your like individual skill level as a squad. And it's not because you're one squad of guys or maybe you're a platoon if you're like a whole group going from a whole community, which if you can if you can rock a platoon to your first game, do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah, um, but but if you, uh, if you, yeah, if you just have a squad, you're going to a game that's got four or 500 players, 
your squad of 10 guys is not going to be able to make a significant difference just going and hammering themselves out against the combined forces of the other team. Mm-hmm. And if you like go in, I think willing to learn, willing to uh, willing to engage with the chain of command, willing to like really buy into the missions, buy into what the game is, I think you get the most out of it. And whether or not you're the most successful in like, oh, we won all of our objectives, took so few casualties, did all this better. You could get to the highest level of BB achievement, and part of your process is still tactical AARs. Mm-hmm. Like, the process of improvement never stops. The day you started playing Airsoft is the day you became forever bad, because you'll never <laughs> be as good as you want to be. So, yeah. <laughs> but if you yeah. just roll in, and you know that you're Sisyphus picking up that boulder, and you just put your all into pushing it, it's so fun still. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's... It's easy to forget. I mean, it happened to me this weekend where um, like we we lost a game or whatever. And I was like, man, like, I don't think I said to to John, I was like, what did we do wrong? And he just looked at me. He did. He's like, we didn't do anything wrong. We just lost. Right. You can do everything right and still lose. Right. That's that's how it is. Oh, um, yeah. And, and so, you know, especially like for us, like looking at at this big game, it's like, oh, my God, like all the guys are going to be so good and so much better than us. And like, a. I'm not necessarily sure that that's true, but even if it were, like you just said, it's not individuals who are going to make or break the day. Like it's, it's the group effort that you really have no control over, right? Like you said, like, even if you have control over your squad, there's a lot more going on than just you guys. And, you know, is that really visible to you as like a run of the mill player? Like as a leader, it's a different conversation, but like as an individual player, how much visibility do you really have into what's going on to the broader uh, situation in the event? I think it depends on the game. Um, I think, you know, it, it depends on your game. It depends on your chain of command. It depends on, you know, how your group is engaging with the game. Um, but I generally think it's, if you know what you're looking at, it becomes easy to, you know, intimate some of those details and figure that out. Um, but otherwise, you're kind of relying on what you're told by the chain of command. And if you have a good chain of command, then hopefully your chain of command is doing a good job explaining what the process is and like what's mm-hmm. going on and what your, you know, platoon's part is in the picture. And then your platoon leader is going to say what your squad's part is in the platoon picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it becomes like, hey, we're doing this piece of the pie, whereas our whole platoon is doing this piece and that's all coming out to this piece. So a lot of that comes down to how you interface with chain of command, how into the tactical side of the game you are. I think it's also kind of controllable in that way. If you want to just be a rifleman and mm-hmm. get told what you're doing, you can do that. But if you want to be a fire team leader, even, and just like maintain accountability of your like four or five guys, and then they'll have another fire team leader, another four or five guys, then your squad leader. Now you're actively into the tactical picture at least in so far as like what the intent is and then how you can carry out that intent. Right. And, you know, th- and this is a good, a good point too, that you're mentioning like around, you know, figuring out sort of where you fit into that sort of larger plan, either you as an individual contributor or then you as a, you know, a fire team leader or as a squad leader or what have you. Um, I guess as a new player coming into an event like that, mm-hmm. how, do you figure that out? Like how, how do you integrate yourself, I guess, into what presumably is going to be a 
quote unquote well oiled mm-hmm. machine of expert or experienced players, yeah. right? As as best as you can for BB Wars, right? Like how do you integrate yourself like coming in from the outside, especially if you are like many people who might be listening where it's like, it's going to be me and a buddy and somebody else and that's it. And we don't know anybody else. So the best way I've seen to do that is try to sign up if you can with like a larger group that goes to some of these games. Uh, a lot of promoters, uh, especially Milson West really has like the impression group culture, right? And there will be groups that do different impressions of different countries so all the different costumes uh, or there'll be like just platoons that go as normie militia or normie nato and then you can just integrate with someone who knows what they're doing mm-hmm. um that's an easy hack right just get inside a larger group that knows what they're doing and then all you have to do is kind of like be be their like pet project for the weekend and it makes it makes the experience a lot better if you do your first time that way or if you like can't do that let's say like you are just solo queuing you don't really you really don't know anybody you can't get in with a larger group then what i think makes the most sense is try to engage in as much of the pregame communication as possible because a lot of groups even if you just get randomly assigned right to like another squad or two of people a lot of them will want to make like a Facebook planning chat or a mm-hmm. discord planning chat or something like that. And they might reach out to you through whatever means of communication you put out there, or you might be able to post up in a group and be like, Hey, me and whatever are coming. Like, does anyone want to take a few randoms? I just, my big thing is I encourage everybody to embrace the social aspect of the game before the game, because then you can go in and have at least somewhat of an idea of what kind of group you're walking into. And that is such an advantage versus trying to crash course it all the day of. Yeah. And certainly when you're, it will help you knowing when you show up, at least that you have sort of a friendly mm-hmm. face or at least someone who you can connect with to, especially if it's your first, first ever, ever time going. And I think that's the advantage that John and I have is that we don't have to worry about that part because we know we're going to be rolling with a bunch of guys who are like, dialed in terms of we've done this before like these are the Mm -hmm. things that matter these are the things that you don't need to worry about uh and i you know i can just be told what to do and i will do that thing and it will be fine um but you know a a corollary question to this is one big concern i mentioned this before is like what happens if you get turned around right so you're by yourself or you have Mm -hmm. you know you and your buddy you get confused fog of war all this kind of stuff you're or you you feel like you're not being effective what do you do in, in these types of events when you don't know what to do? So the biggest thing that I find helps if someone like really doesn't know what to do or what's going on is if you're truly by yourself, find a way to no longer be by yourself if you can. I mean, there will obviously be at like an AMS game, there's going to be a permanent respawn, right? Mm-hmm. go back to the permanent respawn like if nothing else hopefully you've maintained like some sense of cardinal direction where that is if you haven't then follow the game's emergency procedures emergency procedures for lost players are usually laid out in the briefing uh or there might be a guideline for them in the event tax op so obviously know and follow those procedures if you're truly so lost you don't know where you are in the field i don't see that happen that often except for like nighttime at Milsim West. Like that's mm-hmm. when people love to get lost. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> but other than that, uh if you, you know, then you fall back in with your larger element and find a staff member if uh, if no one else. Like 
there's usually embedded command staff. So go up to your embedded command staff and say, I'm with this group. Uh, we're totally like turned around. We don't know what's going on. Can you get in contact with them? If you can't get in contact, right? Like if you don't have comms, mm -hmm. first rule of airsoft, comms will not work. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but maybe they can get in contact with another person in the field. Uh, like at Milson West, for example, all of the cadre are the platoon sergeants and the platoon sergeants are generally on a company net. And then the company net is, you know, to the company commander. So theoretically, any member of cadre should be able to talk to each other. Uh, Gun Gamers Productions, we do a similar thing. Uh, then, you know, AMS, I think they have like their combat controllers who are interspersed throughout. And then their CO is usually a staff member. So those guys will all have the information you're looking for, for sure. And if you can't get in contact with anyone else who's within your chain of command, just go right to staff. That's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something that people need to keep in mind. And I'm certainly, you know, it's not that I'm concerned about getting turned around, but, uh, you know, it's it's the, the fear of the unknown. Like, what if I'm just sitting around and I like, I don't know if I'm being effective. Like, I and I get that there's a certain level of sitting around that is... Mm -hmm associated with milsim right like uh, i was mentioning when we were talking before the episode like ambo was at border war and he was like well i was looking at that road for like three hours i'm like yeah okay well yeah. that's the, the recon job that you picked so and he was fine with that but at the same time like you might be in a situation where you're like oh well i don't actually know if i need to be I have doing a this really right? good example for this actually uh at guardian centers 2021 the caspian milsim west that was that year i think it was caspian assault uh, I was actually recon for that, and we were posted up outside the main town in a couple of busted out cars while it was raining, and I just had a thermal scope, and I'm just watching the entire, like, attack happen and just radioing in enemy positions to my guys who were on the assault, and I would just see taggins just start come flying in at the enemy CCPs. <laughs> it was so great. But, um, but then there was a lightning stoppage, and I was in this burned out car for like 30 minutes getting rained on with the lightning stoppage as well and i finally like sent a message i couldn't get through on radio my radio like stopped working from the rain uh so i ended up sending a message to the group chat for the uh, for the actual company and wow. i tagged uh chris bast i think was the company commander and we were uh, a company asset and i tagged him and i said hey kyle and i are still out in these cars do we need to go somewhere and he's like, oh, shit, I forgot you guys are out there. They sent, <laughs> they sent a truck to come get us. Oh, my but, God. But that's a good example. Of, like, sometimes you need to self-advocate. Like, yeah. if people are busy. Like, you know, Chris was the company commander. There was 200 fucking people under him. Like, there's yeah. so much going on. He's got so many cadre. He's wrangling cats, trying to get everybody indoors because Guardian Center's mandated the lightning stoppage. And I had to, like, self-advocate a little bit and be like, hey, we're here. We probably shouldn't be walking because, like, they don't lightning. want anyone outside in the lightning. And that's when he's like, yeah, shit, we'll get you guys out. And they sent a truck. But, yeah. So total example of sometimes you just need to, like, have that conscientiousness and just self-advocate. Yeah. Well, this is a really good lead into to the second part of this, the question that I, that I was thinking about, uh, which is, like, especially like, if you watch 
videos and like try and get informed for these kinds of events, especially like a game like uh, like mm-hmm. Iron Horse or whatever at Guardian Center, which is so cool. Like you will because it's YouTube, you will see the, everybody else's highlights, which means you'll see all the cool guy stuff. And there's gonna be a lot of cool guy stuff that happens, whether it's you know fighting in the mock subway tunnel that they have there, apparently, oh, which yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that place is you cool. know. Uh, or maybe it's like riding around in APCs like you're at Border War or whatever. Like there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of things that are going to go on. Is it A, is it realistic for you to expect that you will get a chance to participate in that? And B, coming back to what you were just talking about, how much do you need to be entrepreneurial or self-advocate to get into those kinds of missions or to get that sort of gameplay experience? Well, so... I know AMS does like their direct action missions and uh, like I know third coast has their tier one mission. So some, some of that stuff you see published from some of those games is literally like missions that cost extra money to play or like the helicopter thing, the helicopter ride. Those are tickets that are sold like with game registration. Those are a totally like separate thing, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things where if you want to do some of that stuff, you're just going to have to pony up and pay for like an extra ticket. Um, or, you know, then you've got the alternative of, well, just within normal gameplay, how do you get to do as much as possible, right? And that's going to involve a lot of, I think, just interface with the whole game. Uh, if you go out and you and your squad are just kind of doing your own thing, you'll be able to make your own fun. But if anything really crazy cool happens that, like, they needed an organized, like, prepared group for, you might not be around to see it. Um, mm-hmm. Or... If you, you know, are just sitting around and you guys are spending a lot of time at respawn and some crazy cool thing starts happening out in the field, you might not be around to see it. It, A lot of it is kind of luck of the draw, I think. But if you really want to get the most that you can out of interacting with like all the different scenarios and systems within the game, that's totally down to like how you and your guys buy into and play the scenario and how you interface and do that with the uh, with the other players, with the staff, with the commanders. I think that's going to maximize like the amount of cool different stuff you're going to see as opposed to just like going out and doing your own thing and making your own fun. But if you want to go out and make your own fun, like, yeah, that that's allowed at AMS, especially uh, MSW. You got to get the right cadre and like still have total accountability. You can be allowed to make your own fun if you can prove that you can be trusted with it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but that also takes to a certain extent. Some of it is like repeat customer bias, right? Uh, some people who know the games, know the systems, and know a lot of people are going to get put in better positions than others for whatever reason, because like they just know what they're doing a little bit more. So, for example, I rarely see that the element that gets sent out early on an ambush on Friday night for Milsim West, that's usually not like the platoon of rando new guys. That's usually like a cadre who has a group that they kind of think, okay, you guys can be a good opening engagement. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a little bit different than the AMS like type of dam and whatnot breakdown, but it's still the same type of thing. And I think it does apply. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't, I mean, maybe, you you know, people who are listening will feel differently, but you're probably not attending your very, very first national level event going, I want to be a platoon leader. 
right? Like typically, mm-hmm. unless you, you know, that was your trade in the military that you were in and you literally just rotated out of that position. Like it's probably, and even still, it's probably not a great idea. Like there's, there's a lot of found fundamentals you probably need to pick up before you start doing that in airsoft. So in the same way, like yeah. I can absolutely see being like, Hey, we had this very special role for a specialist player that requires a very high level of accountability and responsibility. Are we going to pick a random player who is their first ever game? Probably not like that. That part is um, totally understandable. But I I take your point too around engaging with the players who are more experienced and Mm -hmm. the leaders of of the day to make sure that they at least know, I guess, that you're interested in doing that kind of stuff too. Because they can't, well, it's not they can't pick you, but they're less likely to pick you if they don't know that you actually even care about doing that kind of thing, right? Exactly. And how you engage with that and... I also think the ways that you engage with some of that also say a lot about you. Like one of uh one of my favorite quotes, this was from uh I don't know if you know Blue Gene Operator on YouTube, uh Nick. He's another he's another Milson West cadre. And we were talking, mm-hmm. he's like he was telling me about he had a platoon one time, and some of the guys in the platoon were like former military who were super into like doing this MSW thing, and then some of the other people were like just airsofters. And Nick's a former Ranger, so he wants all the former military guys to be like the hard chargers. And he was after the game. He's like, dude, all the people who are most excited to be there were the damn airsofters. Yeah. <laughs> so he took them out and did all the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I think that's good for them because I mean, that's your what you want to live your action hero, right? That's why you're yeah. that's why you're there, right? And, and it yeah. was so cool to see, like, you know, a moment like that where, I'm, and I, I literally just said to Nick, I'm like, yeah, man, there's no replacement for, for enthusiasm. He's like, goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just want to talk so briefly about the flip side of that. So as a new player, like, if I'm in a situation where, because, yeah, okay, so let's back up for a second. Yeah. Nilsom events have a lot of different types of fun right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of type one fun, like, wow, this is super fun. But there's also some like type two and even type three fun, which is like, oh, this sucks. But then in retrospect, you were like, wow, that was so fun. Or, oh, this sucks. And in retrospect, you're like, oh, I'm not even sure if that was fun, right? But regardless, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, you know, the whole like, I, I, this sucks, but I like the way it sucks or whatever. But like, yeah. there absolutely could be situations where you are no longer having fun doing the thing that you are doing and understanding that this is a, a game and b something that you paid for. Mm-hmm. How should in, in your experience or in your, in your opinion, how does a player deal with that? Like if I'm somewhere and I'm literally like, I hate this, this is not, I'm not having fun at all. What am I supposed to do about that? So that's also where self-advocation comes for, right? Or self-advocacy. I think mm-hmm. that's another thing, another situation where that becomes relevant. Uh, for I'm going to use an example uh, from one of my games. We had a player at one of my games who somebody within their chain of command that like they had initially been playing under, they were like just they were not vibing well with like how that was going. It was a total like disagreement of style, and this player felt like kind of disrespected. So we're like, all right, well, we'll just put you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And we did. And then that player had a lot more fun because they let us know that they had this like problem that was developing. And we're like, okay, well, we don't want people to have a problem. So we solved the problem. And then that player had a lot more fun. Um, but that, and that's some of those situations that are very realistic is maybe you're 
in a gr- in a squad where your squad leader lost their radio on the first charge in because they bought their all new cry setup and didn't have yeah. a radio pouch. Well, guess what? I went up to the you know commander of the UFS faction at that AMS game, and I said, "Hey, uh, I have no accountability in my squad leader." Also, turns out like they left for lunch for like a super long time. So I literally went, I have no accountability in my squad leader, and they don't have a radio. And the commander goes, cool, you're the squad leader now. <laughs> and, we just, yeah. and we just rolled like that. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes it comes down to something as simple as, like, fixing a leadership structure that's not working right. Like, sometimes it's that simple. And then sometimes it's as simple as, well, what I'm tasked with right now is not something I'm very interested in. Maybe you can find a new tasking. Maybe like you've been sitting for too long at the patrol base because, you know, your cadre thought you needed a longer rest rotation, but now you're bored and now you can walk up and say, hey, like my guys are really itching for something and he can give you something to do that's going to keep you a little more busy. Or you're Mm -hmm. at an AMS game and you've been sitting at respawn because you don't know what the scenario is. Same thing, like just be able to advocate for yourself. And one of the things that I think helps a lot with this as well from the player end. Now you are the customer, you paid to have a good time. Staff's job is to try to help you have a good time. But always remember too that like the staff are working within their own framework of what their guidelines are, what their scenario looks like, how many other players they're trying to deal with. So it always works best if you go in with the mindset that staff is trying to help you. Mm-hmm. Um Now, sometimes people have bad experiences with staff at some games. I've seen it happen, but it never helps when people start devolving into a shouting match or getting mad and and like, you're not having fun. So you're salty and you're yelling at the staff. And then the staff members like, what the hell? I've got this guy in my face and starts yelling at you. Like, luckily it does not happen at my games. Thank God. (laughs) But I've seen it happen. Yeah. And it, it never helps. So always try to go in and just feel and feel out what within the scenario can realistically be done to solve your issue. And sometimes if the answer is nothing, then hopefully that doesn't happen because in my opinion, that would be a very bad game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a fair point, right? If you're like, oh, well, this sucks and I'm not having fun or whatever. I mean, part of the, the your homework should be, okay, well, what is going to make me feel better like what what do i need to happen right to yeah to to make this better you know is it like you're like you were saying like a different tasking and i think <clears> especially <throat> as a new player and someone who doesn't have the experience of having um you know these uh, having having done these milsim events you can often think it's like oh well if i get a crappy tasking well that's it like i'm just i'm just gonna have to suck it up and deal with it but the reality is well if you go to someone and say hey listen like is there any way we can change this up they very well may be like yeah sure you know give me half an hour we'll see what we can do or, or yeah. whatever and going up and shouting at them obviously we've talked about that many times on the show before yeah that doesn't help anything anyway um but it's good for people to know like that's something that is not only like you know, you shouldn't necessarily reserve that for like the dire straits of, well, I'm going to walk off the field if they don't do something about this, but like, it's okay. As long as you're not being an asshole about it, right? Like fundamentally, yeah, uh, it's okay for you to self-advocate for that kind of stuff too. And it's good to hear that from you. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's to me, like that level of self-advocacy is also an engagement with the systems of the game. Like the mm-hmm. point of the game is for you to come have fun with the game. And if you're not having fun for some reason, 
then go engage with the systems that are meant to make you have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like you said just earlier, like enthusiasm is, a, is, uh, is there's no replacement for it. So if you're enthused and having fun, you're obviously going to be a better, more effective member of the team than if you're just, you know, uh, unhappy somewhere or just sitting in respawn waiting, right? Yeah. And, and I, one of the things that I think like some people let color a game for them though, and this is something I really, I really want to nip in the bud for some players. A lot of the time, what I see that makes players mad at a game is like, there'll be poopy pants that they think the other team is cheating or that like their gun went down and it'll be things that like the game host can't really effectively control. Mm -hmm. And then they're mad at the game host or the game that like all these bad things happened. And I think to some extent, enjoying a game despite things going wrong takes totally suspending, you know, your idea of what you expect out of a game to a certain extent. Like, I, I personally don't like quitting games just because a gun breaks if I can avoid it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would rather just keep powering through. So, like, my my RPD had its hop-up die at the most recent 40-hour game I went to from uh, Grimnir. Well, am I going to quit the game because my RPD isn't hopping BBs anymore? Or am mm -hmm. I going to embrace the meme and try to get as close as I can so maybe I can artillery them <laughs> in on people? It, it, it's, yeah. to it's totally like you just have to be willing to embrace a new experience and roll with the things that go wrong. Like, oh, the other team is cheating? Well, whatever. I'm just going to shoot him more and then I'm going to do as much as I can and, and not even worry about it. Well, and it's funny what you're saying about the RPD because it ties into what you were saying earlier, which is that these types of games are not won by individual players. And so if you're saying that, well, my gun went down. So is the only value that you bring to your team the fact that you have a rifle or is there other things that you also bring to the table? Like your radio, your ability to communicate, your ability to coordinate, you know, like uh, maybe now your your gun went down, you're the medic now, congratulations, right? Or, or something like that to your point. How do you reframe the experience that you're having so you're not being poopy pants about it? Now, obviously I get it. Like if your gun breaks, it, you, you get salty, Oh yeah, no, right? that sucks. <laughs> that is, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting otherwise, you know, but like, especially for a game like that, like you could be on the cusp of having a completely new experience that you never have had just by sort of trying to embracing and, and rolling with it. Listen, I have never felt more cool than for the amount of pistol kills that I got because my RPD was worthless. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that alone made it worth it. But, uh, but one of the things that I actually try to tell people like a slogan of mine now for some of these longer scenario, like bigger national level airsoft games, not all gameplay is gunplay. Mm -hmm. Like there's yeah. other elements of the game, especially if you've got a game that's like limited ammo and there's medic water, or, you know, there's a mission going on at the AMS game. Like, Pick a role that you can fulfill no matter what and just embrace playing that role. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Not all airsoft gameplay is gunplay, yeah. Um, there's something I wanted to ask you about too, uh, and it, it has to do with sort of the endurance aspect mm -hmm. of, the physical endurance aspect of a lot of these games. I know that for Milson West in particular, you and your crew, which is Task Force Keg, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, you have some sort of voluntary physical standards that you guys use to make sure that the members of the team are capable of performing at certain different levels, which is voluntary, but uh, we can talk about that in a second. But oh, yeah. I think 
a lot of airsofters gloss over the fact that these multi-hour games or even multi-day games in the context of like a 40-hour game or, you know, Border War or something like that, they're physically taxing, right? And I see people all the time at our local games, you know, on the weekends that are just like, it's like they blow in a tire after 45 minutes, right? They're just like, oh, I'm so done. We did a six-hour uh, objective game at the start of the season and players were bushed after three hours, right? Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about how you've seen that shake out for new players at these sort of national level games and sort of the motivation behind the task force keg physical guidelines. So one of the big things that I observe in terms of first time players at some of these bigger games is some of them forget that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of players will try to go as hard as they can for as long as they can, and they will just hit a wall. And a lot of players have never really seen how hard they can go for how long. So then they hit that wall and they're like, oh shit, now I'm gassed for the rest of the game. Yeah. And that's one of the big things I think a lot of people need to remember if they don't really know what they're getting into is like, feel it out, pace yourself. There's so much game time in total. Like, don't worry about feeling like you have to be in on every little thing all the time. But like, know how you can go but the other part of it is that if you want to go hard at all it very much bears having some level of physical preparation and like with uh with the task force keg guidelines right our basic standard is three miles in one hour with your full sustainment rug and the idea behind that is that Honestly, Milson West does not have as much rucking as people like to say it does. Uh, you can move a lot if you know what you're doing and you, you know, you get really into it. But in terms of actually like moving with your full backpack and all your gear, I have yet to do more than a three mile movement at Milson West. And well, at least with ruck, I should say. But if you so if you can pack your ruck and move with it and be able to carry it and at least beat that pretty easy time. That just shows that you've achieved the basic level of preparation necessary to complete the event. Mm -hmm. And we really want everybody to do that before coming out. And we will not allow you to play any form of specialty role if you don't complete that. Because to our mind, like, we're trying to include everybody and let everybody come play no matter where they're at, no matter what they're doing. But if we're going to put someone in a specialty role where they might be the machine gunner who's got half of the platoon's ammo in their box mag, we need to make sure they're not going to walk off the field with it because they're too tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that's a big part of it. Uh, that's our like base level standard. If you can't complete it for some reason or you don't complete it, we're not going to tell you you can't come play with us. But you're going to come play Rifleman, feel out the event, like, you know, see what you can do and play as hard as you can from there. And And that's still like you're still coming and you're still playing and you're still like in the group. But. We need to make sure that the people who have the physical preparation are able to do some of those other jobs. And ultimately, the standard's not hard. But yeah. then we've got our higher level standards. And this is where we start really putting in the work for like positive reinforcement and like group culture to achieve certain other things. We have our carry the boats challenge. And the carry the boats challenge is uh, that's from. There, so David Goggins is the guy who's like really famous for coining it, but there's a TikTok of this really hammered guy 
screaming about carrying the boats, just throwing up way too much. And we thought that was <laughs> oh the funniest God. thing ever. So we named our challenge after it. But carry the boats is your full sustainment ruck or a bag weighing 35 pounds. If for some reason you don't have that all together, 12 miles, one continuous movement. Uh, the only time limit for that is it has to be one continuous movement with no significant breaks. Most <laughs> people are coming in for that anywhere from four to five hours. And a lot of people have completed that. We'll also give it to you if you climb a mountain more than 4,000 feet tall with your ruck, because then you've got all the elevation gain. And especially in Northeast trails, it's just straight up. Yeah. But 10th Mountain, the real uh, group that we do an impression of, they hike Whiteface as like their PT as a group sometimes. So that was a good bit of inspiration. And then we've got our, and you get a patch for that. So if you do that, you do the carry the boats, you get a patch. It's this really gaudy, like crazy patch. I don't have one right with me, but that's like a culture thing. And we've got people who mm -hmm. say, I want that patch. I want to get that. And then we've got our next level where it's the whiskey standard. So if you do 12 miles in three hours with your full sustainment pack, that means you've done the army's standard, basically. Like their standard is a 12 mile ruck in three hours, usually. And mm -hmm. So we based our our like maximum like challenge based fitness standard on that, and I'm like, all right, if you do this, you get a carry the boats patch, and you get a bottle of whiskey, and then it, you become one of like the the whiskey squad. So that's yeah. Our goal is to build like the positive reinforcement and encourage people to get into like these different levels of shape or complete these different challenges. Purely just for like a group culture aspect. And we have people in the group who are of all levels of fitness, you know, all shapes and sizes, but all of them are into it and all of them are like happy for each other when somebody completes it. So it's a really good, like positive mentality. And that's the main thing I think people need to focus on is just enjoying that for its own sake, even as much as for the airsoft. Yeah. And just for, for non-American audiences, I mean, 12 miles is just under 20K, right? So 20K in, in three hours is you're, especially with the full kit, like you're going at a pretty good clip, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh that's a pretty, that's a pretty decent challenge. But I think, you know, it's especially like, okay, well, the, the 20 miles is certainly one piece, but even your, your basic standard, you're talking about three miles, that's like just under 5K or whatever. Like mm -hmm. that's totally reasonable, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like if you're coming to Airsoft in general, you will be able to be on your feet for at least a certain period of time. And with a little bit of work, you can, you know, if you're not already there. And I would say, if I look at most people who play at our field, I would say many of them can, can complete that right now, right? Yeah, it shouldn't um, be too hard. Yeah. And if if not, then it's something to work towards. And like you're saying, you know, you've mm -hmm. created this environment where people will encourage you and motivate you as a group um, not with, you know, uh, wrapped up bars of soap in the night, but like just positive reinforcement uh, to, to get there, right. As a, as your own challenge. And I'm, you know, especially for me, like I'm all about um, physical endurance challenges and like seeing how far you can push, but you know, you talk about hitting that wall, right. And mm -hmm. that's a super important thing for people to understand because if you've never experienced that before let me tell you like it's it's a rude awakening when you're just like what is happening right now like i i have my legs i have no go like i've just hit that wall or i've as we call it running bonked right like i've got nothing left and then you're then you're kind of screwed 
right? So you really need to, to, to pace yourself. And, you know, we've talked about that before as well. Like always make sure you're eating and, and drinking and stuff like that. Not that I have yep. too much of a problem with that, but I have well, lots that's of part of your too, resource right? management, honestly, yeah. is managing your own resources. Yeah. And so it's, it's certainly something for, for new players to, to be mindful of and carrying food, right? Whether it's candies mm-hmm. or M&Ms, or if you want to be fancy with running gels or whatever, but like, honestly, M&Ms and running gels are basically the same thing anyway. So, you know, like I'm, Courtney I'm DeWalter bougie. is running ultra mar- or she's running ultra marathons, like uh, pounding down burritos and drinking Coke. So I think whatever you got on you is probably <laughs> fine. Yeah. You know, whatever works. The, yeah. the other thing that I think, you know, some players forget is problem solving in the field, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we talked, we alluded to this a little bit earlier with the, uh, with the guns, like, oh, my gun went down, so I can't really play. Well, I've seen people be like, oh, well, my sleeping bag tore, so now I can't play. And it's like, well, can we get some tape? Does someone have an extra blanket? Or, um, or another thing that I've seen is we had a guy whose insulin froze overnight at one of these games. Oof. And we're literally on top of a mountain in the middle of West Virginia. And we're thinking like, shit, what do we do? And luckily my buddy, uh, my buddy Lutz is an EMT. And he's like, just put it in your armpits and thaw it until he's able to use it and make sure he doesn't eat anything. But if you have that level of knowledge, then that level of problem solving the field, obviously that guy made it totally fine or I wouldn't have finished that story. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> but uh, but that's the thing is like being able to problem solve like that uh, is so important as well. That's another really important skill in addition to the endurance. And if you do get so gassed that like you're like, oh, man, I need to quit. You might not need to quit. You might just need a long break. Yeah. Or a burrito. <laughs> yeah. Um, so listen, the last thing I sort of want to talk about, and, you know, for a lot of airsofters, like appearances are obviously really important. We talk about how airsoft is a fashion show and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But for someone like yourself, who has attended many events like this and others in the past, it probably becomes very easy for you to spot players for whom this is sort of their first time at an event like that. The, uh, FNGs as it were, right? The friggin' new guys. Um, what for you is a telltale sign of a new player? And what would you say is one thing that new players can do more or less of to help them blend in and integrate a little bit more in that, in that respect? So, yeah, I want, I want to specify that to be honest, out of all the new players I see, whether at like AMS or, you know, gun gamers or Milsim West, out of all those new players, I would only say maybe one out of five of them is really like an FNG. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot <laughs> yeah. of, I, I feel like a lot of people do their research and they try to buy into things and they generally do a pretty good job. Um, but then you get the FNGs and the FNG is not the guy who looks out of place because of his gear or his gun or whatever other costuming considerations. The FNG is the guy who shows up and has no idea what the rules are has no idea what any of their guns shoot, clearly doesn't even know, like, what kind of event they bought a ticket for, but just shows up and is like, all right, yeah, I'm here, and they're going to tell me everything I need to do now, and that is the FNG move. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care if your kit looks dumb. I don't care if your ruck is poorly packed. All of those things can be solved. At least you have that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you show up and you have no clue what the base level rules are because you didn't read the rule set, 
you are that FNG. Yeah. So that is the main thing. Read the goddamn rule set. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, definitely not going to be a problem for me because I'm a nerd and I love reading all the rule sets anyway, even for yeah. games. I read the rule set for BFLA and the chances of me attending that game are basically zero. But regardless, um, yeah. I think that's a really fair point. And, you know, organizing the games, even here, uh, the game that we had at the start of the season, lots of players, uh, and to be fair, like we have never run a game like that. So many players, it wasn't part of their routine to just look at the game rules. It's like, they're going to be told everything. But at a game like that, I mean, you probably want to know what you're getting into at the very least. I had a player come up to me and it's like, uh, I saw this villager, I was wearing my admin vest. Yeah. He's like, I saw this villager walking around with a case and it said TNT on the case. What am I supposed to do with that? And I was like, I don't know. What are you supposed to do with that? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, should I tell my team? I was like, probably that seems like a good idea. <laughs> like just, you know, like you're not, yeah. you're, you're not, you're not thinking about that. You're, if you're not familiar with like what is going to be happening at this event. So I can, uh, I can totally appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess my last question is like, I'm hitting Iron Horse. Like, what? What am I going? What should I expect, man? Like, what? What exactly should I be looking out for? So, AMS is so AMS in terms of like, because there's a spectrum of Milsim, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's you know, Milsim West is super hardcore, sleep in the field, like all that. AMS is to me like the step below that, where it's like. You're not going to sleep in the field, so don't worry about that. But you still have, I think, 10 or 12 hours of gameplay on Saturday. So expect to be potentially away from the respawn for a while. Try to equip yourself as well for that as you can. But know what you need and what you don't need out in the field. I think what people think about at AMS, they think they need a long-term sustainment kit. When realistically you're going to be going back and forth from the fob to resupply because you have to refill your seven magazines and, you know, have topped off water. So I would act for AMS. I would say expect a more, a more mobile, like gunfighting experience where you're going to be like rushing to and from different parts of the AO to go have like squad and platoon level skirmishes with maybe a few really organized company things near the beginning and the end of the day, depending on how the leadership plays it. Um, but that's much more like, in some ways, it is just a big airsoft game on a new facility with just mm -hmm. the level of organization to make that number of players work. Um, so that's kind of what AMS is like bread and butter is. That's really what to expect and be ready for that and lean into that and say, yeah, well, I'm going to go just have what I need for like the airsoft game I'm playing totally within the rules and then just run with it and lean into that and play it like that. And you're going to have a great time. Uh, there will be, you know, certain Milsim elements, but you should never be holding like a four hour watch rotation at AMS. Like that, that's not really how that usually works unless you have like a group that needs a rest rotation and then they'll try to keep people closer to spawn so they can have like that dominant area of control and not get encroached on. Um, right on. That's what you should expect. Like your spawn is not able to be rolled. So the game is a little bit different in that way, but expect a, expect a very heavy, violent time. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it's going to be, uh, it's like I said at the start, it's going to be a really new experience for us. I'm going to throw so much pyro. It's going to be yeah. stupid, but like, I'm not, listen, this opportunity might not come again. So uh, as much as I can do 
Uh, no, just send it. And then, and then here's the problem, yeah. right? You're going to get a taste of United States, like big game airsoft. And now it's all you're going to want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But thankfully I have a budget. I'm not a big YouTuber, so I don't like, and this oh, is, dude, I'm not going to, I have a budget too. And the budget just all goes into playing airsoft. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. No, but uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. I think, you know, we talked a lot uh, on, there's a lot of people from the discord who are attending. Um, yeah. We're going to have at least a full squad, maybe even more, depending on how many people decide to decide to show up. We're going to have at least one full VRBO for all of us. So that's going to be something, nice. uh, but yeah, that's I mean, the best I, part. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to, to get your, your feedback and your, your thoughts and ideas on this. Cause the, the social aspect is not going to be the part that I have, uh, that I have trouble leaning into. And I'm glad to hear from you that that's probably going to be the most impactful one in terms of making sure that, you know, we're integrating in a way that, uh, that is meaningful and make sure that we have fun and, uh, you know, I'm going to read the rule set so I don't come across like an FNG yeah. and we should be all set. You, you sound like you're on track to have a really good time. And you're also way ahead with the physical preparation because you like run marathons and stuff. Nobody, <laughs> most people go into these games. Don't do that. You'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, fingers crossed, but, uh, yeah, I'm, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to join me and have this conversation today. I so, so appreciate it. It's always great to have you on, man. Of course, dude. I'm always happy to hop on. All right. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening. That's all we got for you. Uh, and uh, listen, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.